0: This is Leading the Way with Dr. Michael Youssef. Vision 2025, our seven-year strategic campaign to see one million souls come to Christ by 2025. Celebrating 10 years of broadcasting the gospel into the Arabic-speaking world, The Kingdom Sat stepped up its live programming content, expanded into Australia and New Zealand, launched a new global smartphone app, Apple TV app, and so much more. Working with partners in nine countries, Leading the Way distributed just over 13,000 solar-powered navigator devices during year one. This powerful pocket missionary is providing the gospel and equipping new believers for effective ministry in their home countries. With the burden to reach the next generation for Christ, Leading the Way launched a brand new podcast dealing with cutting-edge issues. Candid Conversations with Jonathan Yusuf is targeting 20 and 30 year olds addressing the most controversial topics of our times. Join with leading the way and become a part of what God is doing all over the world through Vision 2025. Help us continue to passionately proclaim uncompromising truth to the lost around the world. Call, write or visit us online at ltw.org today to see how you can become a part of Vision 2025. What happens when pastors gather together with other pastors in the middle of the week? No doubt many share encouragement regarding lives changed in their local churches and others may confide about discouragement they're facing in this unique time. Welcome to Leading the Way with Dr Michael Youssef. Vision 2025 is a ministry outreach plan of leading the way with a passion to reach more than one million people with the gospel over the coming years. Part of this vision is development of events where Dr. Yusuf passionately proclaims uncompromising truth, reaching many for Christ and challenging those in ministry to do the same. Recently, Dr. Yusuf was invited to share his heart and passion with a room of pastors in San Antonio, Texas. His words didn't fall on deaf ears, as these church leaders were challenged and invigorated to faithfully follow God's vision for their lives and ministry. His words were not just for pastors, by the way, but for all followers of Christ. So listen today to Dr. Yusuf's words on this very powerful
1: leading the way. I want you to follow with me in the first 17 verses of Romans chapter 1. And I'm going to come to that in a minute. Because I think most of you, if not all of you, agree with me that we are right now at this stage in history, we are in desperate need for God to do something. We are in desperate need for God to revisit and see abysmal spiritual condition. We are in desperate need to see a genuine Holy Spirit awakening. If the dark ages were blatant departure from biblical truth, the 21st century dark ages that we're now facing head on is plunging us into a new and equally dangerous dark ages. Except it is a dark ages of not preaching the gospel. From many a pulpit. We have committed to preach the word of God, but then when we get there, we rather have the popularity. we rather have this and that and the other thing. And that is why the key verse in Romans chapter 1, verse 16, is Paul saying, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God unto salvation for everyone who believes. Uh, This verse is really the core verse for the entire epistle of Romans. Important as that epistle is, that's the key verse here. But here's the problem today. Here's the problem. The reason the church of Jesus Christ has lost power and impact on our culture and our society is because they have modified that gospel. And when you modify the gospel, you lose its power. That power that's in the gospel is lost. The Oxford Dictionary actually lists about 18 different definitions of power. The, in the Greek language, there's only eight words for power. There's the word karatos, which means to dominate, to rule. And that's what Satan does over his followers. He rules over them. Then the word exousia, which is the delegated or permitted power. And you find that in John chapter 1, verse 12. When the word of God said, as many who have received the Lord Jesus, he gave them power. He delegated power to them. And many times we minimize that power by our own foolishness. Uh, but the word that Paul uses here is neither of those. The word he uses in Romans 1.16 is the word dynamikos, from which we get the word dynamite or dynamics. That's the power of the gospel. It's dynamite. Don't play with dynamite. Preach it. Um, Today, we have evangelical preachers, very popular preachers on television, who are exercising their power because they've lost the power of the gospel. So they use their charm. Thank goodness I don't have any. They use their power of communication. They use their marketing technique. They want to pander to non-believers and, and they're proud themselves that they have a church that's filled with non-believers and seekers. And they are there for year after year after year and they're still in their sin and they come to church. And they're very happy about this. No wonder they mislead people into thinking that the gospel does not have power to change people's lives into new creatures in Christ. Therefore, people can come as they are, but then they leave as they came. The gospel has the only power that will transform life. And that is why they do not preach it, because they do not want lives to be transformed. That gospel has all the power that we need to see that revival will come. Read and study the history. I had the privilege and the the distinct honor of sitting at the feet of the man who is one of the great authorities on the history of revival. Back in 1977 in California, I sat at the feet for two years of Dr. J. Edwin Orr. What a great man of God he was. He is the authority on the history of revival. And he told me repeatedly, there is no revival that ever taken place anywhere in the world, including the two great awakenings that we had here in this country, without people humbling themselves, believers, not the people in the world, believers humbling themselves, repenting of their sins and praying. Every time, that is the secret. And when we minimize repentance outside, to the outside of the church, because we are not repentant ourselves. The Roman culture, new power, but only the power of the sharp sword or the iron yoke. But Paul is saying to them, that the power of the gospel is a superior power. (laughs) Why? Because it has the power to break the iron yoke. It has the power to shatter the chains of addictions. It has the power to fling open the iron gates of darkness and sin. It has the power of God unto salvation. And that, my beloved friends, I am not ashamed of that power of that gospel. (laughs) Not only that, but as I said, he was not ashamed of that gospel. He's not ashamed to allow the gospel power to work on him. Because that's where it starts. I allow it to work in me. And when I don't submit to that authority and the authority of the infallible Word of God, when I do not believe it with all of my heart, When I do not preach it with every ounce of my energy, I'm going to rely on methodology. I'm going to rely on techniques. I'm going to rely on all kinds of things that really has no power to change people. Oh, they have called me narrow-minded. They have called me bigot. They've called me every name in the book. And and now, after 70 years of age, I'm really considering that to be a great privilege. (laughs) When I hear it, I rejoice. I am not ashamed. Of the gospel of Jesus Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to all who believe. Amen. Paul was not ashamed of the gospel because, I'm going to give you the reason. Number one, and you found that in verses 1 to 7 of Romans 1, because he found his total identity in Christ. And the following verses, 8 to 14, because he has a vision for life. He was not taking somebody else's vision and running with it. And he, in fact, he said, I'm not going to go and preach in someone else's territory. I'm going to have my own vision that God gave me that I'm going to use that. And thirdly, he knew his real source of power, 16 and 17. So look with me if you've got your Bibles. I'd love for you to follow me. He was not ashamed of the gospel because he knew that his identity is in Christ alone. In a day when so many people are mixed up on who they are, In a day when it is fashionable to question your gender, in a day when no one seems to have a sense of identity anymore, in a day when so many are following celebrities, even celebrities in the evangelical world and the superstars, without thinking, in a day when so many church leaders want to be liked more than anything else in the world, it is refreshing to see that the apostle Paul is thankful and. Grateful that his identity is in Christ alone. Here's his identity: Paul, bond slave, bond slave of the Lord Jesus Christ. I had one of those people in my congregation. One time, came up to me, said, "Don't use the word servant and slave. You're not servant or slave of Jesus." I said, "Really?" He said, "Yeah." He said, "I call you friends." I said, yes, that's because of the intimacy that he wants to develop with us. But I consider what Paul said and what Jude said and what James said, bond servant of Jesus is a great honor. It's a great privilege. <laughs> Beloved, I know and you know that calling yourself a bond slave of Jesus doesn't fly on Wall Street. We know that, right? It will not endure among the Hollywood elite. It will not get you invited to be on opera unless you preach her gospel. And yet, This is the healthiest self-perception you can have. Once you know who you are and that all you are and all you have is by grace, that anchors you in your identity in Christ. Don't miss what I'm going to tell you. Paul saw that being a bond slave of the Lord Jesus as the greatest privilege and honor that he could have in life, that he could receive. But I know there are all sorts of reasons why people minister. Even he said there are some people ministering during Paul's time out of jealousy. And I know some people minister out of sense of duty. Others minister to earn favor with God. Others minister like uh, theotrophies in uh, 3 John 9, who like to serve because of the prestige that the ministry gives them. Others serve for their own purpose to fulfill their own agenda. Others serve because they think it's good for business. Whatever it is, any service. Or ministry that is not done out of sincere desire to glorify the Lord Jesus Christ is not worth a half a hallelujah. Amen. Secondly, Paul was not ashamed of the gospel because he knew God's vision for his life. I was 18 years of age. I was standing in a Christian bookstore. I had just given my life to Christ just a year and a half early. And a man asked me a question. A dear friend, he later went and ministering in Toronto, Canada. But think about this. This is over 50 years ago. And uh, he asked me, he said, now that we know God saved you, God brought you to this time for such a time, what are you going to do? What do you think? I said, I don't know. Every time I pray, I sense the Lord to be giving me a global ministry, and I don't know what that means. Think about this. How ludicrous that is. 18-year-old boy in Egypt says, I think God is calling me to a global ministry. I did not know, but that was God's vision. Well, it was not my vision. I have not a clue what a global means. <laughs> you see, the average pastor, the average preacher, the average servant is sort of existing, and we should be more than that. The average person does not have a vision for life. And Paul's vision for life and ministry is what carried him through all of the beatings, all of the stoning, all of the shipwreck, all of the persecution, all of the hatred, all of the pain, because he knew this is God's vision for him. He told him and he told Simeon over in Damascus that he will preach and he will witness for me among kings. And Paul knew that he will preach in Rome that's God's vision for him and here he tells us that part of that vision was to go to Rome he delineated right here yet he was trusting God for the timing oh God's timing is amazing God always on schedule not yours and certainly not mine I always say to him Lord you take your sweet time but you always come through and that sure enough uh, it took some detours for Paul had to go back to Jerusalem and then Actually traveled to Rome as a guest of the government in chains. But shipwreck or not shipwreck, he ended back in Rome. If you don't have a vision for life, ask God. He will give it to you. Vision for your ministry, ask God. He will give it to you. Because he called you for a reason. You're here for a reason. You're in this place that he's placed you for a reason. And so you can ask him for a vision for your ministry and he will renew it. He will renew it every morning. Now, why do I say this? Because through the years, I saw that those who don't have a vision for life gets easily discouraged. They get easily disappointed. Do I not get discouraged and disappointed? You better believe it. You better believe it. It's what I call the Elijah syndrome. But don't stay there for too long. Move on. Because you're going to hear the voice of Jesus saying, what are you doing here, Elijah? Move on. Discouragement comes, but when you know you have God's vision, you will overcome discouragement. You will not stay in it. See, when you have God's vision for your life and not somebody else's vision, when you know that you are obeying the vision that God gave you and he gave it to you and you individually, he did not duplicate it, you will not need to fret when the Murphys in your congregation rise up. And it doesn't matter what the deacons say. It doesn't matter what the elders say. It doesn't matter who says what. You know you're following the vision of God. When you go to him and he gives you his vision and you follow it, you'll be absolutely purpose-driven. And Paul had one purpose in that vision. Verses 11 to 13 is to go to Rome and to be of mutual encouragement to them. You see, when an encouragement is one way, you will get tired. You'll get exhausted when you're constantly encouraging people, don't have somebody to encourage you. And that's why 29 years ago, a small group of pastors, two actually others, and myself, pledged to each other that we're going to hold each other accountable. We come from different church backgrounds, but we all love Jesus. And we hold each other accountable. We have prayed for our children when we were young. Now we're praying for our grandchildren. (laughs) Isn't that amazing? Because that's how we were lifting each other up. And you need somebody to lift you up. You need to make a covenant with someone in order to encourage you, to pray with you, to hold you accountable. And preferably someone not in your congregation because they can have a moment of honesty and then they confess your sins to the congregation. (laughs) The great apostle was not only anxious to be an encouragement to them, but he wanted them to encourage him. He said that. He said, I want you to encourage me along the way, which is really very important to Paul. Even though he's a great apostle, he was not arrogant enough to say, well, I don't need your encouragement. I'm just here to give you something. No, no, no. He said, you're going to give me something. (laughs) You're going to encourage me, and you're going to help me along the way when I go to Spain. I want you to send me on. Verses 14 and 15. Paul sees his service As an obligation, namely, because of God's saving grace, he owed the gospel. He owed the gospel. Who is Paul obligated to? God. To whom does he make payment of that obligation? The people. (laughs) I know many leaders give occasional verbal credit. Oh yeah, the Lord did this. But under their breath... Yeah, but don't forget about my hard work. Some people, you just give God lip service. Some pastors praise God only with their lips and not with their heart and certainly not with their substance. I remember I was ordained to the ministry. I was unfaithful in my tithing and offering to the Lord. And I remember trying to bargain. You know, in the Middle East, we bargain for everything. You can't just accept the price they give you. You have to bargain. So I I took that kind of cultural thing and I was bargaining with God. Abraham did it, you know, he said 50, 40, 30, 20. He was bargaining with God. So I was bargaining with God. I said, God, uh, I'm here in this ministry in the church that was appointed uh, in Sydney, Australia. I was an associate pastor after my seminary graduation uh, and they pay me X. Oh, but if I was a businessman, or even a school teacher, I would have making three times as much. So in reality, God, I'm giving you all that by giving you myself. And you know what the Holy Spirit said? Yousef, put the cash in there. <laughs> and I'm so glad of that conviction because I would not have known the joy of giving. Verse 17. This is the verse upon which the 500 years of reformation has been built. It's the verse which your life and mind should be built. And this is actually taken out of the Old Testament. Habakkuk 2, 4. The just shall live by faith. The Bible speaks of faith in three different tenses, in past, present, and future. There's some people get messed up when they try to go with one tense or the other. Three tenses, past, present, and future. Past is when you come to Christ, surrendering your life and receiving Jesus as Savior and Lord and the Holy Spirit sealed you. Then every day, every moment you're walking with God in faith, trusting Him. When things are falling apart, when the storm is threatening to topple your boat, you're trusting Him. And you say, even with Job, even He slays me, yet I'll trust Him. That's faith present. But then there's faith future. And that is when we close our eyes in death and we go to the other shore and cross over the river of life. And the Apostle Paul here includes all three tenses, past, present, and future. You received it, you walk in it, you reach home safely. It's all of God. It's all of God and none of me. The power of God first revealed to us, so desperate sinners passed. The power of God is strengthening us in the times of difficulties, in the times of joy, in the valley and in the mountaintop as present, the future. I tell my congregation on a regular basis that in this stage in my life, I live for, I work for, I wake up for the audience of one, which I'm going to have. Every one of us is going to have that audience of one. I used to say I'm on the fourth quarter of my life. We have a pro football player in our congregation. He came to see me. He said, Don't say that. Don't say you're in the fourth quarter. I said, well, What do you want me to do? I mean, you know about football, I, I'm a stranger to it. He said, Tell people that you are in the overtime. And he said, you know what the beauty about overtime is? It's sudden death. (laughs) So I don't know he was prophesying or what. (laughs) Either way, it's fine. It's fine by me. I work every morning. I said, Lord, if it's today, I'm ready. If it's today, I'm ready. He keeps giving me more energy. The more I say that, the more he gives me energy. But it doesn't matter because I live for one thing. And that is to hear from His precious lips. Well done. Not much done. Well done. Say it with me. Good and faithful (laughs) servants. To God be the glory. Father, we are the most privileged people to be entrusted with the gospel of Jesus Christ. May we hold it tenaciously. May we preach it boldly. May we proclaim it with every ounce of our being. May our prayer life and individual life and the secret life and public life be totally committed to that gospel. Father God, forbid it that any one of us be ever ashamed of the gospel. Or try to modify the gospel. Or try to take the sting out of the power of the gospel. But Father, that we will preach it with all of its glory. Uh, Father, bless my brothers and sisters. Pour your Holy Spirit upon them every single day. Anoint them with your favor with their congregations and in their ministries. And they're coming and they're going. Give them favor in the city. Give them favor uh, in the community. Give them favor in the congregations. Father, I pray in the name of Jesus, there is no power like your power. And when your power starts working in us, let the world watch out. Dr. Michael Youssef,
0: with encouragement to lean into the power of Christ and impact the world for Jesus. This is Leading the Way with Dr. Michael Yusuf. Want to get in touch with Dr. Yusuf or Leading the Way's team? Start by going to ltw.org or call 1-300-133-589. Well, thanks for listening today and plan to join Dr. Yusuf again next time when he passionately proclaims uncompromising truth on Leading the Way.